Hey there, creatives. My name is Cecilia, and I'd like to welcome you to our weekly podcast, where we get to hear stories and insights from leaders in the Catholic creative world every week. The hero's journey speaks to the heart of every man and woman on this earth. It is the central story to not only our salvation, but also to who we are as human beings. The climax of every hero's journey happens in Act 3, after the hero has faced their darkest hour when all hope seems lost. In my own life, not too long ago, I was faced with one of my own darkest hours. I'd come to a crossroads. Everything was on the table, work, relationships, my future. I didn't know if God was asking me to give it all up and pursue religious life, or if he would give it back to me and call me to continue on. We all have these moments when God allows us to truly need him and cling to his feet, trusting that there will be a third act. In this podcast, Rebecca shares her own story about her hero's journey. Let's check it out. I wanted to start with just sort of like the things that you've done that are really interesting. Um, as I've sort of like checked out your stuff from afar, one being a running a creative agency, also like promoting a, a novel that you've written, which is also awesome. And the fact that you designed the cover for your own novel and are a like an illustrator, that's like a lot of different pursuits. So how did you yeah. sort of become said Renaissance <laughs> woman uh, elite? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I often say that I'm just a compulsive creative with too many hobbies. Um, it's the hardest part has actually been narrowing it down mm-hmm. to a few things because <laughs> I, I think at least a lot of other creative people, we are creative in everything that we do, whether it's actually designing a website or like cooking. I'm a boss in the kitchen and I think it all stems from that same, um, creativity that God blessed me with. So I guess it's, I, from a very young age, I I loved drawing. I wanted to be an artist. Um, ever since I was a kid, I, I knew that I wanted to be an artist. I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that was something I wanted to do. And, um, so I don't really know where it started. I recently found uh, an old journal filled with the most ridiculous made up stories that from when I was eight, (laughs) very embarrassing. (laughs) Um, but just proof that like, okay, I was doing this when I was eight years old. You know, this is something that I was created for. Um, but I didn't really realize that until I guess in college, I studied film originally because I thought, okay, I want to be an artist, but that doesn't make money. So I'll go into film. That was a terrible idea because film doesn't really make money either. (laughs) Um, I beg to differ. um, Well, depends, depends. Yeah. But so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I ended up transferring to Benedictine college, um, studying mass communications again, as an outlet that I could use my creativity, but also make money. But then towards the end of my experience there, I was like, you know, I need to get an art minor. Um, this is something that I, can't not do. Um, so I got an art minor and continued to... That's funny that that was like sort of put on the like, uh, that like, this is extra. This is like the icing on the cake, you know, like I'm indulging myself a little bit with this art minor. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know where that, that mentality came from, but I've met a lot of other creatives who struggle with that same idea that like, oh, 
artists don't make money, you know, the starving artist. Yeah. Um, and yes, there is a reality that like a lot of us struggle, but with that comes this mentality of that. It's not good enough. It's not a real job. It's not worth pursuing. So I've really had to fight that mentality throughout my life. Um, hmm. who, who like spoke that to you? I don't know. I don't know where that came from. Cause like it was, it was never something where one person said, Becca, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone throughout my life encouraged me. They said, yeah, keep drawing. I mean, I guess maybe my parents were realist, realistic in that they, they were like, okay, but think about this from a job perspective. Cause I've always had my head in the clouds. I've always loved, I, I am an artist, you know? <laughs> so, so I guess they kind of encouraged me to think about the responsibility of having a job and, mm-hmm. and making it work. Um, and that was very good. I needed that, but I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I think if, if I'm honest with myself, it's pretty clear that that mentality comes straight from the devil. Mm. Because creativity is a reflection of how we are made in the image and likeness of God, because God is the ultimate creative being. Um, and I think that's why so many musicians, photographers, designers, artists, they struggle so much, um, not only to get paid, but also to convince themselves that they are worthy of being paid and that their skill that they've spent so much time, energy, money, uh, and resources on is actually something really good and really powerful. And naturally, because of that, Satan is going to try to stifle it. He's going to try to stifle us uh, from living that call to creativity. I remember being like that when I, so I've talked to so many people, even on the podcast, like Corey Hyman has said that the same thing, like getting an art degree with, he, he, he intentionally avoided getting an art degree so that he wouldn't have the stigma of like artists, Mm. you know? Um, and I think that even for me, when I was younger, I, as I was pursuing music and doing the emo band thing, I was so (laughs) like, it was a dream to, to be on Warped Tour and, or whatever. But when it came to like thinking about my life as, I couldn't see myself as being a creative, like, dad, you know, like, or being a family man, like, 40 years old and being be, uh, being an artist, you know what I mean? There's this, like, mm-hmm. you can do this for a little while, but then you have to grow up and get a real job, and being an artist is a lot more like drawing pictures as a hobby when you're, when you're a kid, and maybe there's yeah. certain select few people that, like, somehow strike gold and get discovered and are lucky, but that's not really a thing that happens. Um, Mm. and I guess that was just my perspective when I was growing up on what like art was about. So Mm. it's, it's interesting that you say that it's, it's like a temptation because not only was it in the water, you know, like I think a lot of people around me thought that way. Um, especially Mm. being like transitioning from like homeschool to public school, but there was also this internal voice that was like, that part of you isn't important, you know, like that was always present that yeah. I think it was more of like a temptation or an insecurity that was a kind of a core thing to me. So I resonate with what you're talking about there. So like you were homeschooled though, and that's a very different type of like culture to grow up in that tends to mm-hmm. stimulate creativity and independence a lot more. Like tell me about growing up, like what that was like. Absolutely. 
One of the things I love the most about being homeschooled was what you said, that, that we could be creative and that my parents valued um, what we were interested in. And there was that flexibility to be able to pursue what we loved. Hmm. Um, so my little siblings are still homeschooled right now. And how many, um, how many of you guys are there? There are four of us. Okay. Uh, my older brother, uh, he just got married and then there's me. And then there's a, there's an eight year gap between me and the next one. And his name's Gabriel. And then there's Teresa and she is 14. 15? Oh gosh. <laughs> it's public. <laughs> I think she just turned 15. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so we're in, in the eyes of homeschooling communities, we're a tiny family, but in the eyes of the world, we're a huge family. Um, yeah, modest I grew up Catholic with friends. Family. Yeah, I had friends who have 12 to 13 siblings. So and they we look the down on end. you like, oh, you guys is like, you're, you're like, you're oh my gosh, there's Catholics. only four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But my little sister is obsessed with birds mm. and I don't understand it. I'd never, <laughs> I love animals, but like, I don't, I don't get the whole bird watching thing, but she loves it. Um, and my, so my parents take her on bird watching trips as part of her education, you know? And so there's that, that flexibility of, they recognize something in her that she loves, that she's good at, and they can work it into the curriculum. And they did the same thing for me. Um, with art and naturally there were certain things we had to learn, obviously like history and science and whatever, but they, they made space for me to grow in my creativity. My dad let me use Photoshop on his computer when I was like seven. And obviously at the time I used it like paint, you know, mm -hmm. drawing and whatever, but I was exposed to that, which impacted me later when I, in college started learning how to do graphic design. Mm -hmm. And I took art lessons and all sorts of things that just, it, it just allowed me to be who I was yeah. in a way that I don't think I would have been able to do in a school setting. One of the things I think people are like, ah, I don't know, homeschool, I don't know about that. Cause if, if I were to do that and to sort of push on my kids' passions, then that would be the only thing they would do and they wouldn't do anything else. And I was homeschooled for a while and that was actually absolutely true in my life. Like I just read mm. books a hundred percent of the time. And as soon as <laughs> math came around, like Marcelino and I would share answers and then run out into the creek and like play <laughs> hooky. <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't Sounds advance like very quickly sense. during uh, that time in my life and in the other areas that were not of interest to me. And yeah, so did you ever play hooky on like the stuff you didn't want to do? Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mentioned this earlier, but there was a time uh, where I slacked off so much that I got five months worth of work behind and my mom totally brought down the hammer and was like, no friend privileges, no phone, no nothing. This was before um, texting and Snapchat. You know, it was like the, the home phone. I couldn't use the home phone. So my friends would call and be like, is she not grounded anymore yet? And Man, grounding for like, a homeschooler. No, stop calling. <laughs> and, um, but it pushed me and I cranked out five months of work in five weeks. Mm because I wanted that phone back. Um, and so, yeah, like there are certainly ways that I guess problems that could come up from, for a homeschooling family. But I think 
they're not really problems. They're just life, you know? Mm-hmm. Back in the day when the school system wasn't so rigid and, and compartmentalized and cookie cutter, people raised their own kids and they just taught them about life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something to that. Um, I, I learned how to be who I am. I learned responsibility. I learned discipline. I learned to take responsibility for my own education and my work. And that's something that I wouldn't have gotten from just showing up at a certain time, listening, taking notes, whatever, like doing whatever I had to do to be a teacher's pet and get the right grades. You know, I wouldn't, for me anyway, I would not have learned from that. Yeah. Um, I learned most from just kind of trying things, experimenting, letting, or my mom letting me fail from time to time. Um, but then like helping me get back up and just, just keep going for it. And um, yeah, I struggled with math. I struggled with history, but I did my best and we found ways for me to learn that because I'm also dyslexic. So, and a lot of people, they don't actually know what that means. <laughs> and I didn't know what it meant. And I didn't actually know I was dyslexic until I was in college. How does a dy- dyslexic person write a book? <laughs> Good question. Um, so I can't spell for beans. I'm terrible at spelling. Thank goodness for well, for being homeschooled because I, my mom didn't know I was dyslexic. She mm-hmm. didn't know why I was struggling so hard with spelling. I, I swear, I could not spell. I, that eight-year-old book that I wrote, <laughs> book, is terrible. <laughs> but there's so many ridiculous spelling errors in it. It's comical. But she, she had to adapt her teaching style to match my learning style. Mm. And that's something that a classroom setting wouldn't have offered. I just would have failed all my classes and been miserable and felt like, okay, well, I can't spell. Yeah. I'm going to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, I, my mom found other methods to help me learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, my gosh, I'll, I'll, read, <laughs> I'll read papers by seniors in college and there'll be grammatical errors. And I'm like, how did you miss that? <laughs> Because I guess my mom just worked so hard to help me overcome that. And that's, again, that's something that couldn't have happened in a classroom setting. That is really special because most people that I know that are dyslexic, like it, it, they sort of treat themselves as being handicapped. Like, um, and it is a challenge, right? But like the way that if you've overcome something like that as a, as a youth, like it, I think it would lend itself to a huge amount of confidence. Like I could do Mm -hmm. a lot of other things. Like I'm not going to let these challenges that I have hold me back. I think it's really interesting too. I saw on your website that you had branded your own homeschool, like your family school. Um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Tell me about the whole, like the process of branding your mom's teaching. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Yeah. So she, um, on the one hand, she wanted to give me work because this is a new venture being freelance. Um, but on the other hand, she, she knows that there's a stigma about homeschoolers, um, mm-hmm. the cringeworthy homeschoolers. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell people I was homeschooled and they're like, really? You're normal. <laughs> and there's a reason for that stigma. Yeah. And my mom really wanted to be able to show in a very professional way that we were not that stigma. You know, we actually had a really good education. And so she wanted a logo to put on the transcripts um, so that when my little siblings go to college, they can show these really professional looking transcripts to whatever college they apply to. That's so badass. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) I love it. 
Oh, I love that she wanted to do that. And it, it was actually really hard though. A lot harder than I thought it was going to be because I'm so close to it. You know, whenever you work yeah. on a project that is personal to you, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Oh, yeah. Um, and she didn't really know what she wanted. And that was also hard. And mm. we're family. So that was also hard. Yeah. <laughs> Me being like, mom, you have to pick one thing, not everything. There's no way to put all that in a logo. So, but was, what was cool about the process of branding virtually her um, and her teaching style, because it's my mom who taught us, right? She's kind of mm-hmm. almost like putting a label on herself. And I think that's why she had such a hard time picking things is because she knew like, this is it. <laughs> this yeah. is the defining thing. But the process of getting there was really good because it helped her reflect on like, okay, what, what did I give my kids that was special? Um, what is the core of why I do what I do? Like what, what is the thing that we fall back on whenever we lose sight of direction, you know? And that, those are questions that I wrestled with when I designed my logo as well. It was like, well, why do I create? What's the point? And so we, we ended up with this, um, image of, a shell with the golden ratio Fibonacci number sequence kind of overlaid within it because similar to my own, my own drive behind my creativity, um, she recognized that there's, there's such a thing as intrinsic beauty and intrinsic truth. You know, the Fibonacci numbers, the golden ratio, they, they're reflected all throughout nature and they are naturally beautiful. You, you can't, show someone a forest or a flower or something in nature that is beautiful and then say, well, that's just, you know, someone's expression of their preference. (laughs) There's something Mm -hmm. mathematically true to its beauty. And I think she, she really wanted to um, get back to the, the, the fact that there, there is such a thing as truth, right? And there is right and wrong. And there's this kind of concrete, almost black and white element to reality while at the same time there's so much diversity like you see this this golden ratio in all different areas of nature mm-hmm. and it's sort of like the the base of like beauty I mean, you're yeah. sort of saying like the um the scripture that was the the mantra that you yes. guys picked yeah so um the, the scripture verse that my mom kind of landed on was, um, I think it's Philippians 4, 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the one that says, you know, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is noble, pure, uh, righteous, all these things I can't remember exactly. Um, <laughs> think about these things. Yeah. Right. And I, I remember reflecting on that scripture and being kind of struck by the fact that he doesn't say master these things or possess these things. He just says, think about these things, Mm -hmm. um, and ponder them and, and lift your mind to them. And so for my mom's logo, um, or for her education teaching style, that's really just reflective of how we were allowed to just explore, um, explore the things we loved, explore goodness, truth, and beauty, and to think about those things and to learn about those things and surround ourselves with them. And for me as a creative, that, that really strikes me because I know that 
when I lift myself to things that are higher and transcendent, um, my creativity flows more. Hmm. Um, and through my creativity, I'm, I'm able to help other people rise their minds and hearts to things that are transcendent. And that's kind of one of my core missions too. My own logo is, um, it's an anchor paired with three sails and a lighthouse. And the anchor symbolizes hope because it's a, a huge mission of mine to spread hope for people through mm-hmm. my creativity. And the lighthouse is like evangelization, bringing light into the darkness. But then the three sails are goodness, truth, and beauty. Because mm. um, I believe that, like Dostoevsky says, beauty will save the world. Goodness, truth, and beauty, they, <laughs> they can't be argued with, you know. Um, and when we are able to incorporate um, those transcendentals into our artwork, into our photography, our music, our writing, our fiction, whatever, we are spreading the gospel without words. And you were you were a missionary, right? So, like, I feel like most people that I know who have been homeschooled, they go to college and then go into mission work. There's like almost this kindred spiritedness. Like, this is actually a similar, you know, I did youth ministry and totus tuus and stuff so like totally know what it's like to not sleep for a very long time and (laughs) lots of like really bad food and and all of that but i think like there's this almost this like bravado of uh that's been present in in the church and in a lot of these ministries where like the unless you're doing this one-on-one sort of like uh, discipleship or you're actually being a missionary, you're not like living out the full gospel, you know, and then coming out of that and jumping into life and making money. it's almost like everything feels a little bit like tasteless and and the transition out can be hard. Mm -hmm. Like what was that like for you going from SPO mission work into being a creative and whatever? Yeah. Yeah. That was really hard for me actually, because you also having been homeschooled, it was always the mentality that you, you did your best, Mm -hmm. you know, you couldn't just disappear into the classroom. You were one of four. Well, actually in my case, one of two until my little siblings Mm -hmm. were born. And there's just this, this striving for excellence that was always present. And, and that definitely carried over. And, and when I was thinking about, okay, what do I want to do after college? that mentality was still there. Like I, I take my faith seriously and I want to give my all to the Lord. I'm not going to just give Mm -hmm. half. Um, and so becoming a missionary seemed like, yeah, I'm Mm going to do that. And yes, the Lord called me into mission work. I'm, I'm I'm not going to get too much into like being a missionary because I could go on forever Mm -hmm. about that. But coming out of mission work was really hard because I had lived for three years with this label and this identity crutch of, yeah, I'm a missionary. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a good Catholic because I'm a missionary yeah. and I could, I could throw that term around, you know? Mm-hmm. And yes, like being in mission taught me so much about evangelization, um, and just being a better person really. And it was pivotal for learning how to use my creativity as a form of mission. Um, so I needed it, but when the Lord called me out, it was a blow to my mm-hmm. pride 
because I I wanted to be one of those lifers because mm. there's like the few wow. the few missionaries that do you it for life. You want to be a lifer? Like, I don't want. <laughs> I was like, I don't just want to be the two year missionary. Everyone's that. Like, I want to be the top. I want to do the uh, best. And I mean, that's honestly probably yeah. just pride. But um, but I wanted I wanted to please the Lord. I wanted to serve, and and I didn't understand how to do that. And so towards the end of my third year. Um, the Lord really started speaking to me about my creativity. And he was like, Becca, I made you this way on purpose. I made you with this obsession with movies and love for books and um, head in the clouds, you know, everything that is who I am. He's like, I made you that way. And I want to use that. I want to use your creative drive and your artistic talents. Um, and I, I kind of didn't want to hear it actually. Cause I had kind of put my creativity on the back burner for three years. I tried to continue to like paint as a hobby or like write a poem here and there, but it was, it was very much just like a thing that I did a hobby. So to think about leaving mission work, which seems so important to do something that to me felt like a hobby mm. was very difficult. Um, it was difficult for me to come to terms with the fact that actually it's not just a hobby. It's a calling and it's a mission. It's what God put in the blueprint of me when he made me, you know, mm -hmm. and to not live out that call to creativity, um, would be, it, it would, I wouldn't be being who God made me to be, you know, like he, um, how did you, how did you connect the dots like between like mission work and being a creative? As in like how to use creativity for evangelization or? Well, it sounds like your whole value system for like what evangelization or mission was ha like had to change uh, during that. Um, well, I think it was hard to translate a one-on-one -on -one telling a student, like mm -hmm. helping a student in their faith life to taking a picture of someone and knowing that they feel beautiful. You know, it's a mm -hmm. lot, yeah. it's a lot, um, a lot more hidden, a lot more subtle. But honestly, when I was able to overcome that pride of being okay with not having the label of missionary, um, it was pretty easy for me to see that, um, you know, we, we live, I mean, one of the reasons I became a missionary is because I feel drawn to meet a spiritual need in America. Um, a lot of people who go on mission, they mm -hmm. will go to a foreign country to meet a bodily need such as hunger. For me, my heart was always drawn to, there are spiritually impoverished people right outside my door. Um, and that's the need that I wanted to meet because mm -hmm. we're like one of the richest countries in the world. And yet we're, we have like the highest depression rates. And that I, I know in my own life, cause a little backstory, um, my two members of my family, um, committed suicide different times, different sides of the family. But hmm. so depression has always been, um, kind of a sore spot, not a sore spot, but something that it tugs on my heartstrings. Whenever somebody's struggling with this, um, I, I want to meet that need. I want to help them overcome it. And what better way to combat depression than with hope, right? And in my own life, mm -hmm. whenever I'm down, 
I find hope in stories. I find hope when I take a walk in nature and I'm surrounded by beauty. I find hope um, when somebody shows me something good, something good, true and beautiful. Right. Um, And so it really wasn't hard for me to recognize, okay, there's this spiritual need around me and I can meet it through my artwork, through my stories, through my photography. And it's just a matter of me being okay with the fact that other people aren't going to understand that. Dear everyone, this is Anthony. I just really wanted to say that this has been a big year for the community. And last year, we didn't know what the Catholic Creatives movement really was about. We just felt like God was doing something and we didn't want to miss out on it. So not knowing what the hell was going to happen, around 90 of us creatives descended upon Dallas and showed up in person for the first summit. What happened there was really kind of crazy, and it's not something that could be really described or hyped up by a podcast, but suffice it to say, we discovered new best friends, kindred spirits that we could share deeply with, to trust, to be in the trenches with. Some of us discovered love. Some of us got new jobs. Some of us decided to move across the country to work together. It was amazing. And in all of that, we discovered a huge mission, a part to play together in God's story of saving the world. You know, many of us have not really been able to believe that there could be an event with Catholic in the name where we could really fit in. Many of us couldn't see how it could be worth being away from our families or putting down our meager freelance savings to jump on a plane and head out, but it paid off for us in all the ways, even in money, because it created a really powerful ecosystem of talented allies that could trust each other. Right now, the second summit is only three months away, and we're praying over all the applicants and over who we feel like is supposed to come together for that. And we just want to say, check your September now, because if you get an invite sometime in the next couple of weeks, you need to be ready to get it quick because it will sell out quickly. And trust me when I say we want you there and we don't want you to miss it. I can't wait to see you all in person. And I also can't wait for the life-changing conversations that are going to happen there. Finally, if you don't get an invite this year, I also want to say keep making. It's not a contest. It doesn't mean that you aren't cool enough or good enough or something like that. It just means that for whatever reason, we weren't able to get to you this year. But once we're through the summit, we do plan to do a series of regional events that will allow us to bring what happened at the summit to all of you. So stay tuned and keep creating. Do you have any examples of stories that gave you hope when you couldn't hear it from someone who's just telling you to have hope? Um, pretty much any movie I watch. <laughs> Cause like, wow. well, well, like honestly, I, I'm not going to feel hopeful if someone's like, have hope, Jesus loves you. Because obviously I'm already struggling to believe that. So like someone telling me isn't going to change that. But me seeing a movie or reading a book where like I, I studied film. So there's, there's a part in the three X structure where everything builds up to this end of act two where it's the all hope is lost moment. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just the worst part of the movie or, or book where like everything is wrong and Luke, you think there's I no way they can father. overcome. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but then it always jumps back up to the climax uh-huh. where the hero overcomes their biggest flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, they're able to succeed. 
and that's, it's typical, but like every time it gets me, it's wonderful. And even though I see it coming, it, it reminds me that there is hope because here's this character who had some flaw or something wrong. Um, and they hit their lowest point, but they always get back up. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and when I write my own novels, I, um, I stick to that structure one because it works, but also because I think there's, there's a reality <laughs> that we, we can all relate to that structure. And I think it's really cool because actually Jesus passion was the same thing mm-hmm. because it was the crucifixion and that was the end of act two. And then there was the resurrection and that was a climax. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Little. It's the, the hero's journey, um, in its most like intense and like, I guess, fulfilled mythology that's probably a a really abstract way of saying it but if you take all of the hero's journeys that are like the most sort of archetypal hero's journeys you can see Mm -hmm. like the patterns in them and if you were to just like outline all of them in terms of like here's the moment where he goes into the cave and faces himself you know um yeah like that happens with Jesus's temptation in the desert. Like it, mm-hmm. it just maps over so crazily perfectly yeah. to yeah. uh, the story of Christ. So mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, I, as a novelist and a storyteller myself, like it's one of the reasons why I love Christianity so much. And mm. um, I've struggled with skepticism and doubt like my, in, and all of my adult life. And it, it actually has been like embracing my creative center and embracing like the role of a storyteller. It has allowed me to cut through a lot of that doubt because I just keep on being unable to escape from telling the Christ story, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. so central to everything that I write that I'm like, man, this is just like, this is so true. I can't, I can't escape that even though there's a lot of reasons to doubt it. Um, mm. so anyway, I love that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. And I love how anyone could relate to a story. It's kind of like mm-hmm. music. It's a universal language. And for that same reason, you know, we all experience those ups and downs, those ups and downs. And like, it's up to us when we get to our lowest point, if we're going to get back up and like go through to the climax and overcome. And, um, when have you had to do that in your own life? Uh, I, so recently I, well, not recently, two, two, two years ago, I had an injury to my ankle and it ended up being a heck of a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. Um, and it totally derailed my plans. I was, I was living in Texas, finishing up my third year of SPO. I had an apartment picked out, um, and a job lined up and I was going to stay in Texas. And then I destroyed my ankle and realized that I needed surgery and a very long recovery time. So I moved back to New York um, unexpectedly uh, to be with my family while I recovered from surgery. And I ended up having two surgeries uh, and was home for two years, which was a lot longer than I thought I was going to be. And a lot of good things happened from that, and I'm grateful for it. But I also... Um, went into a depression for a little while, um, more than I'd ever experienced before. And also like knowing, knowing that depression runs in my family, like I recognized it immediately. I was like, I 
and I'm hitting this point and I know how dangerous it is and like the spiral and I, I didn't know how to get out. And what it came to was recognizing and being okay with the fact that that's how I am mm-hmm. and like learning to be broken. Um, and for me, I think the Lord allowed that low point specifically because I needed to learn how to receive his mercy. Hmm. Um, and that's been still is a struggle for me. Cause I, I've always been someone who just wants to like, I'm a perfectionist. I want to be perfect. I want to present the Lord with my perfect self. Hmm. Um, but he's like, Nope, you're not perfect. And you're not letting me be God. And he was like, let me have the satisfaction of being your savior. And like, be okay with the fact that you're broken. Be okay with the fact that you're depressed right now and you're always going to struggle with these things. And yeah, like my ankle triggered it, but a lot of the things that I went through emotionally were, um, were always there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to face it. That was how I reacted to things and that's how I responded. And like, I've got a terrible temper and I hate that. And so the darkest aspect of it was my own, um, I guess like self-loathing and not being okay with where I was at. Um, and because I have a fantastic family who loves me so well, um, and they took such good care of me. I, and because of my experience with SPO, I was able to like keep praying and keep pushing. Um, and honestly I did, I read a lot of books and watched a lot of movies um, <laughs> to remind me that there's still good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's <laughs> worth fighting for. <laughs> Um, so it was a long and drawn out process, but I, I was able to overcome it and not only overcome it, but start to learn habits that I needed to, uh, develop to continually overcome this. Because even though I was at my lowest point with, with my ankle, those, those tendencies and those thoughts of like self, like turning against myself were, I know they're going to keep coming back. Um, whenever something on my ex- in my exterior is uh, really negative. My interior is going to turn negative. You know, it, my ankle. Like I was okay with the fact that I have a bad ankle now. Um, mm-hmm. I had come to terms with that, but that didn't change the reality that it was a lot of stress. And I think exterior stress, even if it's good stress, like maybe someone's getting married, they're going to feel stressed. You know, the the external physical realities that we exist in they affect our internal, um, spiritual realities. Um, so I don't, I don't think I handled it very well, but the fact that, um, that I had to go through it, I had to kind of have this trial by fire. It taught me so much and and has slowly gradually helped me overcome certain things and, and recognize my need for the Lord's mercy. Um, and develop a devotion. What were some of the con- sorry? What were some of the concrete things that you like had to like habits that you had to acquire in order to Good like question? Um, so a lot of a lot of discipline in basic, very basic things. So like having a schedule and waking up at the same time, um, eating well, exercising. Um, what were the actual like things though that you did? Like you learned to set your alarm the night before to like get up early or like, how did you do it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you set an alarm and you don't snooze it. <laughs> you, uh, 
you put on the workout clothes, even though you don't feel like working out so that your mom sees you and is like, so you're going to the gym? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's totally, um, that's makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You, my family has a prayer room, so I would go to the prayer room and I'd sit there until I prayed. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess just like, and again, that kind of goes back to being homeschooled. That's in my head, like it, it's on me. Mm-hmm. I have to decide to do it and it's not easy. I don't, <laughs> I have, I set my alarm for the first time this morning in like a week. So mm-hmm. I'm one to talk, right? But, um, <laughs> but I think I didn't recognize how important those things were and how much they affected me internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just having, having things that I set in my life, I'm like, okay, this is my goal and this is how I'm going to get there and I'm just going to do it. That helped me a lot and keeping busy and keeping, um, keeping myself outward focused helped a lot, especially, and that's what I'll tell people. A lot of people who struggle with depression, they are told by a lot of other people like, Oh, you're so good. Like, it's fine. Those mean people are so mean to you, you know, and they're kind of almost turned against the world, Yeah. but that doesn't help. That turns them more inward. And the more inward I turned, the darker I got mm-hmm. inside. Um, and so really it was being dragged to like, like a community service event or something that I really didn't want to do, um, that turned me outward. And that's where I started to be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Humanity is good. It's Mm -hmm. true. It's beautiful. There's something here worth fighting for. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a messy, it's a messy thing and I still haven't quite figured it all out, but that was also the time when you wrote your book, right? Yes. Like that season. So like in order to write a book, I mean, Anyone that has tried to consistently cultivate a writing habit, like, knows that it's like going through labor. Like, it is (laughs) harrowing. Sitting down to the blank page is, like, the most terrifying thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And every possible distraction that you could possibly think of, like, immediately starts to plague you as soon as you're, like, working on it. Yeah. Um, It takes an incredible amount of... Um, like virtue and, and sort of, I'm 31 and this is the first year that I've actually cultivated a, like I've wanted to all my life. And this is the first time I've successfully cultivated an everyday writing practice, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm just, I would love to hear how going through the dark night sort of ended up with this beautiful, yeah, product at the end, like this gift of love to the world of this story. Yeah. Well, it really started with, um, I, I had been thinking about this novel for a long time and, um, I'd been wanting to write a novel since I was eight (laughs) at least. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I think I want to say it'd been like five years since I got this idea and started writing down little notes and outlines and character sketches and just things that I wanted to apply to the story. But I, I was scared to just start because I hadn't figured out all the answers yet. You know, I hadn't outlined it to a T of like, okay, well, what is this person going to do when this happens? And I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't actually know the answer to that until I wrote it. And actually it was a friend of mine, uh, George Pappas probably doesn't even remember this, but I was sitting on my hammock. Um, he, he served with me in SPO. I was sitting on my hammock, uh, reading, a book about writing <laughs> <laughs> and he like came up to me and was like 
he asked me about it and I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to write a book. Cause at this point I had, I had written like a first chapter and that was so good, but I like put it away again and like tried figuring more things out. And, um, he asked me what my story was about mm-hmm. and I could not for the life of me answer him. And he totally called me out and he's like, you, you need to learn that. Like you need to figure out what your story is about. And, um, so I like, I just, it ended up being an indecision thing. I just had to like pick something and move forward. But what's the story about? Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? No, it's <laughs> it's a story. Um, it's a dystopian novel uh, about forgiveness, and it follows the story of Tabitha Clay, uh, whose only chance at reuniting slash resolving her issues with her estranged father are by hunting him down for the corrupt authorities. Um, so it's very much a sounds internal, dramatic and dark. <laughs> it's it's a, well, it's a dystopian, you know, yeah, like yeah, I know. Hunger Games, Divergent, like yeah. It's not quite as graphic as those, but um, but yeah, it's it's a very um, it's very much about her internal war with mm-hmm. herself and deciding if she wants to rescue her dad or get revenge on him because mm-hmm. both seem like viable options to her. Yeah, <laughs> because he abandoned her and her twin and her dying mother three mm-hmm. years prior to when the story takes place. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's what it's about. But another, another friend of mine called me out as well. I can't remember if it was George or if it was someone else, but somebody said to me, Becca, just write. Actually, no, Abe Gross. Mm-hmm. You know Abe Gross? Yeah. Another totally. musician, all these yeah, yeah. wonderful creative people in my life also served with him in SPO. Um, but he's like, you just need to write, just write. And I'm like, that's the last thing I want to hear. I want someone to say, just plan some more, just outline <laughs> some more, just beat around the bush some more. Yeah. Um, because ultimately I was procrastinating by outlining. And while outlining, I think is really important. Um, you don't want to just totally go in blind. I just needed to put a pen to paper or mm-hmm. rather fingers to a keyboard. And, um, so when I, when I broke my ankle, I say I broke my ankle. I destroyed my ankle, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> when I destroyed my ankle uh, and moved home and got my surgery, and when I was finally kind of, you know, all the all the medications were wearing off, my head was less foggy. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to be stuck here for a few months. Um, I have no excuse now not to write this novel, and so I I just started. I just started writing, and it was it was lousy at first. Um, Everything that was coming out, I was like, this is just crap. I don't like any of this. Yeah. Um, but I I'd read a lot of things that other writers had said, and they were like, you have to have a writing routine. You have to have a daily writing schedule. And me being a stubborn mule, I was like, that's not how I work. You know, <laughs> <laughs> My muse doesn't show up every day, and I like to sprint, not run. Uh-huh. Because I'm very much like I I like to crank things out all at once. Yeah, and then five like, months, five weeks, not do anything for yeah forever. Yeah, but it wasn't working. It wasn't working, and I knew it wasn't working. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna try this whole 500 word a day thing, and I'm gonna stick with it, and I'm gonna sit there until I write 500 words at least, and then I can stop. Mm-hmm. And because I was at home, I didn't have a job at the time because I was still in recovery. And when I did get a job, it was just part-time. So even then, mm-hmm. um, I didn't have like a social life or anything because all my friends had moved away except for like one or two. So I was like, I have no excuse. There's never going to be another time 
when I have this much time to just sit around and write. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I challenged myself to 500 words a day and, um, before I knew it, the book was written. Wow. Honestly, like it was insane because every time I did that, I was training my mind to be creative at that time of day. Mm -hmm. I didn't always write at the same time, but it was usually in the morning or in the evening. And so the muse showed up mm -hmm. when I called it. It wasn't like I could only write when I had this creative urge, but the creative urge knew to come every day for the span of 500 words at least. <laughs> And most days I would write a thousand, fifteen hundred words. Oh wow! Um, my chapters are like between two and three thousand words. So like over the course of a couple of days, I'd write a chapter, and that kind of I I work well when I have checklists. So if I can like hit a milestone and then keep going, it helps me to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, and so because it was every day, every week, um, I was able to crank it out in ten months. And the first draft was not very good. I mean, it was my first book. There was a lot I wanted to change. So I went back and I actually ended up spending a year um, just really getting it to where I wanted it to be and then designing the cover and figuring out how to self-publish and all that stuff was a huge learning process. Um, but uh, yeah, it just takes discipline and it takes sticking with it when it's not working because eventually it's going to work and you're going to go back and change it all anyway. So mm -hmm. who cares if it sucks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just uh, got to get it done. Seriously. I, I, mm -hmm. I resonate with that very deeply. So, um, how did you move from being in writing mode to being a <laughs> freelance designer? <laughs> Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say back to normal life. Yeah, back to normal life. I mean, both. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, stopping when I would stop writing a chapter and go have dinner with my family. It was, that that was so weird because I'd be like in fiction mode. Oh, and yeah. Sometimes I would get a little delirious and forget what was real and what wasn't. <laughs> my family would be like, Becca, <laughs> come on. Um, but okay, so switching switching to graphic design and like freelance work. When I was in the SPO, there were times that we would have to remind ourselves that things were work. Mm -hmm. We'd be like, okay, I just went and saw a movie with a student, yeah. but that was work mm -hmm. because actually I'm developing a relationship with them and we're in the field of relational evangelization, right? So there were things like we started learning how to say, okay, yes, those hours were put towards work and like it's in a sense, a worthy cause. It's not just like an extra thing I do after work or like a hobby. Right. Right. Um, so I've had to remind myself that it's okay for me to write. And, um, because I work my own hours and I'm a freelancer, I, I'm allowed to spend a few hours writing a chapter if I need to. Um, and that's something that a lot of people don't have the privilege of doing. Uh, I recognize that if you're coming home from a nine to five job, Mm -hmm. And then you have to write those 500 words a day. It's a lot harder. Um, I'm really privileged in the fact that I can write, I can choose to write in the morning if I want, or I can choose to write in the middle of the day because I can move my schedule around how I see fit. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess it depends. There, there have been times when I had a big project that had like a due, a due date. I'm like, okay, I, I can't spend all day writing these chapters when really I need to be getting this website developed, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of priority, but then also remembering that 
my book is a priority yeah. and it has to be a priority. Otherwise it's never going to be written. So I would just on days when I, I had a lot more freelance work that I had to get done, I would, I would write 500 words, but then I'd stop at 500 words. Mm-hmm. Um, but then other days if I'm on a roll and if I don't have a lot of other stuff that's timely, I'll just let myself write. And there, there are different compartments of my job, but ultimately I would love to be able to just be an author and that's not going to happen if I put it on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's not making money really now because everything I make goes right back into it, that doesn't mean it never will, but it won't if I can, if I treat it like it never will, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, so all of that to say, like, how did you come to the point of really starting to see this, I guess, creative business as a like something that was valuable that was a vocation that really um was supposed to make money i mean all of that like how did Mm -hmm. you overcome the whole um stigma that uh was placed on it when you were growing up i think having been a missionary and fundraising my salary helped with that (laughs) because (laughs) you lose a lot of that shame man oh my gosh (laughs) it was hard um but it was also it was so good because Mm -hmm. it really drove home the concept that the lord is taking care of me the lord is providing for me um that my money isn't mine it's not even earned it's given by god and yeah i have to work for it he's not gonna like be like, okay, you don't have to work at all, but you're going to be filthy rich. No. Um, but it is from him and having that mentality helped me a lot with freelance work because I do believe that he has called me into creative professional work because I had the option to do other things. I was working in marketing and I'm good at marketing. Um, I was a social media manager. I was getting paid nine to five, whatever, but I was so restless And I knew that I was sacrificing, I guess, my passion projects for a nine to five. And everybody's different. Everybody has different energy levels. But like for me, if I'm designing for an agency um, from nine to five and then I come home, I don't want to design more things. You know, I want to stop. And so it was kind of a question of, well, which would I rather? Would I rather have the stability of a steady paycheck or would I rather have the flexibility of being able to do the projects that I care about for the businesses that I choose Mm -hmm. um, and like have time to write and to do artwork and um, to potentially explore those things that have never really made me any money but could if I actually put the time into it and after that it was like okay the choice is pretty easy I know what I want but I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've wanted to do freelance work full time for a very long time, but I just, I didn't think it was possible and I was afraid. Um, and so when I finally took the plunge, it came down to realizing that I was missionary for three years. I fundraised my salary. That seemed impossible, but through the generosity of others, but ultimately through God's grace and his providence, I was able to succeed. And it's really no different. Um, because in freelance, 
you don't know when someone's going to need a website made or when someone's going to call you up and be like, Hey, will you take pictures? I've gone a couple months without making anything from freelance work. It'd be like little tiny sign projects and it's scary. Um, and it takes a lot of trust, but so did fundraising. Um, and it's, it's not something I've gotten the hang of yet. Um, I'm still like every, Every few days or so, I feel like I freak out thinking that the Lord's not going to provide. But then I remember, no, he, he made me this way. There's a need for what I have to offer. There's a need for good, wholesome stories, honestly, for, um, for hope and for mercy. And like, I can give that the way that God made me. And if that's the case, and if he made me this way, and if he's calling me to do this thing, he's going to make it possible. Hmm. He's not going to leave me out to dry. And so for me, it's just taken a lot of courage and a lot of trust. And then also just discipline and learning how the heck to do this. You know, how, right. how do I, how much do I charge? How do I write up a contract? You know, all these things, you just, you got to figure it out. But from, yeah, from a spiritual standpoint, it's, it's all a matter of if God wants me to do this, he's going to make it possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll leave a faith for sure. Do you have any, um, like advice, I know we're kind of coming up on our time here, like any parting concrete advice for those who are perhaps looking at the plunge or um, have just taken it and uh, are struggling with that sort of trust? I guess just um, know who God is and like continually learn who God is because when you, for at least for me, when I would forget God's mercy and God's love and God's creativity That's and started relying on my own efforts, my own human weak efforts is when I would fail. Not only in making money because <laughs> he'd be like, wake up, like I have it, come get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in, in being creative, like I, I would, would go, I would get in writer's block. I would have no motivation and whatnot. And I think it's important that we actually draw from God's Mm -hmm. creativity, um, especially in our culture, art and anything creative. music. It's almost like voyeurism, right? It's very much like a self-expression thing. It's like, I just want to, I don't know, throw myself out there for the world. Please understand me. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's just too, it's too self-centered. Um, and there is, I mean, I do that too. You know, I create something and I'm like, there's a bit of me in this and it's really cool. But also, you know, mm-hmm. God is the most creative being in the universe and he decided to share some of that with us. And if we allow him to be creative through us, it's going to be 10 times better than anything we come up with. Mm-hmm. And I experienced that recently. I hit a major writer's block. I didn't write for like at least a week, maybe even two and I was like, Lord, I need you to write this sequel. And then boom, like all these ideas came and I just had so much, so much to draw from. Um, and so, yeah, just like never, never put God on the back burner. He, he just wants relationship with us and everything is for him. All of our creativity is meant to glorify him. And when we forget that he how much he loves us and how much we are just made to be in union with the Trinity. And like, what, what is that? That's crazy. You know, we, 
we're created to live the life of God in the Trinity, in love. And when we view our lives through that perspective and like actually just go back to those basic truths, um, everything looks different. You know, what, what we create means more. And like why we get up in the morning has a reason. So, yeah, and like even mm-hmm. he cares about the little things. He cares about our paycheck. So even just remembering to lay our fears and cares at his feet and be like, Lord, how am I going to pay rent? <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do this. And just placing that at his feet, knowing, taking time to know him and to know that he wants us to place it at his feet so he can pick it up for us. Um, it's made all the difference in my life. And it's always when I lose sight of who he is um, that I just fall flat on my face. So he's there. He wants to help us. He wants to make it possible and pave the way for us to live this calling of creativity that he's placed in our hearts. That is quite a profound sign-off. I'd say that's a pretty good like mic drop. You <laughs> drop <know>? the mic. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> that is so good. Thank you so much for like jumping on. And uh, yeah. I am personally like really edified by the conversation. I'm like so pumped for tomorrow morning's writing session. So ready to get into <laughs> Keep it. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs>